and welcome back to Millennial Ag, where agriculture is always on tap and no topic is off limits. Thanks for joining us today, your co-hosts, Valley Likely and Catherine Lotspeech. Welcome back, listeners, to this week's episode. We um, are in the thick of the political um, turmoil. I don't even know what the right term is at this point. Um, train wreck. I don't know which way the bus is coming and I don't know where to run to stay out of the way of the bus, but it's coming. Um, but we're at Millennial Ag, no topics off limits, and we want to share some perspectives on kind of the upcoming presidential election. We are doing a political series, kind of how it impacts ag, and we've got three guests with us this week that come on different spectrums of the political political realm and we want to we want to see their different perspectives but we also want to prove that we can try to have a civil conversation when it comes to national public policy that affects our communities our families and our um, lifestyles so Catherine would you want to introduce who we have on the line with us today Yes, I'll do a lightning introduction and then allow our guests to introduce themselves a little bit more. So we're going to start out with um, the gentleman who I think is our most ardent listener and who gives us some really constructive feedback. We can always count on Dan <laughs> to let us know um, what he thinks. And and I think he also has the most re-listens. So Dan keeps our stats up there way high. He is my brother-in-law and um, is coming to us from Nevada. And we'll hear a little bit more about him in just a few minutes. Um, second up, we have Miss Leah Pratt, who is a family friend of the Likelys and who I know um, sort of peripherally through FFA, and she is coming to us from Idaho. And finally, we have Mr. Dustin Cooksey, who um, I first met when I worked for the Colorado Wheat Growers. He and I got to attend a really great leadership conference um, that was hosted by Monsanto, and you can say what you want, but it was a fantastic conference. and he is a uh, crop farmer in Southeast Weld County, Colorado. So he um, joined us today. Everybody's got a full packed schedule and they all made time to be with us. So we're really grateful that you're all here. We're excited. Um, and let's go back to Dan and just do a quick, you know, 60 second intro of yourself and your background. Uh, thanks, Kath and Val, for having me on. Uh, as you said, I'm Dan Lotspeech. Uh, I'm a uh, former Army officer, and then in 2015 came back to the family farm. We're a, uh, a small, highly diversified operation, um, and as is typical out in this area of northeastern Nevada, we have a little bit of, um, of livestock, and so we've got a little bit of irrigated pasture and, and hay that we put up for that. Uh, and then we also do a lot of uh, direct-to-consumer uh, vegetables. Uh, we try some fruits. It's really hard here in the high desert to have much success with that, but we try. Um, and got into growing cut flowers uh, last year as well for local florists and, uh, and things like that. So uh, we love to give ourselves, uh, constantly give ourselves new challenges. To say the very least, thanks, Dan. Uh, go ahead, Leah. I'm Leah Pratt, and I live in Blackfoot, Idaho. Uh, and I married into a fifth-generation ranch here in um, the southeast corner of Idaho. And um, I work remotely for an education consulting company, and so I uh, I do that part time. And then I'm also um, getting my master's in public policy from Oregon State. I studied agriculture science for my undergrad and um, 
as Catherine mentioned, I, uh, I was in 4-H and FSA when I was younger, so I didn't grow up on a farm, but I grew to love the agriculture industry and um, am proud to be a part of it today. Excellent. Thanks, Leah. And Dustin, go ahead. Okay, yeah. Um, well, I'm, my name is Dustin Cooksey. Uh, I am a fifth generation um, uh, family farmer, I guess you could say. Um, my great great grandparents homesteaded in this area in 1908. Uh, we've been here ever since, but uh, I went, grew up in FFA and 4 H, and uh, you know, I went off to junior college at Northeastern Junior College and then attended CSU. And the middle of my senior year, a farm came up for sale and uh, had an opportunity to get back to the family farm. Um, and I haven't looked back since, but uh, we are what I would call a medium sized family farm. Um, there's currently five of us, five households that draw their main income from the farm. So, uh, but very diversified with cattle and uh, we dabble in pumpkins and watermelon uh, and mostly we grow grains. So um, that's, that's mostly where my background and perspective comes from. Excellent. Well, thank you everybody so much for being here. We're really excited to have such a diversified group um, of millennials. I think we're, we're mid to late millennials here. And, you know, we are the Millennial Ag Podcast and that's the perspective we want to bring, um, especially when, you know, the older generation still think that we're the ones who are in college and, and uh, you know, getting up to all sorts of shenanigans. Um, <laughs> so our goal here today, um, just for our listeners' sake, is to have a respectful conversation, um, dialogue, discussion about uh, politics as they stand right now with the U.S. going into the presidential election. Um, Valley and I feel strongly that we have really lost our ability as a country to have um, reasonable dialogue, to sit with alien ideas, and to, um, you know, to really consider other people's perspectives. And so we have brought some people here tonight who we think um, will be able to challenge that, that unfortunate cultural norm right now. So um, I think without further ado, let's just dive straight in. Yeah, I think maybe to start, Catherine, if um, everybody kind of wants to go around and is comfortable saying kind of where they politically stand in general, not necessarily on this elect this election, but just in general, where you sit on the political platform and kind of what your general overview when you look at policy is? Maybe the same thing, 60 seconds overview of, of where you stand politically. Dan, you want to get start us off? Uh, sure. I like to think that I am pretty much right in the center, which, which feels like uh, I, a member of a smaller and smaller group uh, anymore. But I, I like to believe that uh, I can listen to both sides and really think about the ideas from, from both sides of, um, of the political discussion and, and see what really works and what doesn't. And that's what I try to do at least. Um, and uh, so it also often results in, in me being sort of branded as being on one side or the other. When I bring that up, I find in a lot of political conversations, um, if I'm speaking with really conservative people, I tend to, to get called a, a pinko commie. And uh, when I'm speaking with really liberal people, uh, then, then uh, all of a sudden I'm a fascist. But uh, yeah, it's, it's interesting. But I, I try to stay in the center. So that's how I would describe myself. 
you um, are you registered as a specific party um, in in the region you're at in Nevada? I am. I am. I am a registered Republican. So. And is that uh, primarily I mean, because the a lot of the rural areas are determined by the primary elections? Yeah. Um, yeah. Part of it. Part of it is that. Um, part of it is that I would like to call myself a, a proud Republican some days, someday, but uh, I don't know whether I can much do that in this environment right now. It's, uh, it's a little tough um, because I feel like a lot of my political leanings are more in the direction of what that used to be, but uh, I don't know. Yeah. I can sympathize there, Dan. I, uh, I was always unaffiliated and and in Colorado, that's a blessing that we have. You can vote in primaries as an unaffiliated voter. And I like being able to do what I darn well please. Um, but I, you know, I have considered running for office and, and those sorts of things. And so I decided a few summers ago that I needed to register. I registered as a Republican and that happened to be the summer of the Kavanaugh hearings. And um, my registration lasted for less than two months. I couldn't take it. <laughs> so if I ever have any political aspirations, I'm gonna have to figure out uh, what to do about that but um Leah let's let's hear from you yeah so I uh I grew up in California and um but I so very predominantly blue state but I um grew up in a conservative household and um when the first election that I was able to vote in was the uh 2008 Romney uh no not Romney is that 2008 or is that McCain. Uh, that was 12. It was McCain I get it, all, get it all confused. <laughs> yeah, but um, with 2008. And um, I, I didn't vote in that election, though, because I was traveling. But I was, I knew that if I did vote, that I was going to vote for, um, for a Republican. But um, as years have gone by, I have found myself becoming more and more progressive. And um, I am now a registered Democrat in the state of Idaho. I changed my registration to be able to vote in local elections, um, to be able to vote in the Republican primaries because it's closed here. Um, so I, you know, I don't, I don't feel that attached to a, um, a title that I, I can't unaffiliate and um, do what I think is best for our local elections. But um, right now I'm a registered Democrat and I've never been a registered Democrat um, I've only been one for about two months and so I'm testing the waters just to see what it's like. So I'll report back. <laughs> well, you've made it over the two month hump. So that's, that's a good place. I, <laughs> I haven't even done that right. yet. <laughs> and Dustin. Yes, Dustin. Uh, so I guess I would kind of consider myself along the lines of Dan. Um, I, I tend to be um, pretty right on the, or on the, leaning right, I guess, not necessarily correct all the time. Um, some people <laughs> would say it is, but uh, I, I tend to be, <laughs> yeah, so I tend to, I tend to lean more right, probably, um, especially uh, fiscally, I would say. Um, and then socially, I would say maybe I tend to lean a little bit more left or closer to center. Um, but, you know, I, I'm a registered Republican. Um, I have been ever since I first registered to vote. And uh, my first election, I remember um, 
voting proudly for George W. Bush and driving an hour from college back home so that I could vote. All um, right. And, uh, you know, so that was, that was a different, um, a little bit different than it is now. And I believe if I remember right, um, you know, you had to be registered at that time to be able to vote in a, or at that time, I think we had caucuses as opposed to um, the primaries. So um, I can remember doing the caucus um, thing and going and listening to, uh, to everybody stump for their candidate and, and doing that sort of thing. So, um, but that's kind of, I would say where I'm at um, right now anyways, so. All right. Excellent. And in the interest of full disclosure, uh, Valine, and then I'll go. <laughs> well, so, okay, repeat what you were saying. I got distracted slightly. <laughs> um, just where do you sit on the political spectrum? I am, um, so I'm actually registered in Colorado um, now. I kept my residency in Idaho until this year, which is a whole ordeal in itself, um, but I am registered Republican. Um, and I've been over the last year, or even less than that, with with all this COVID stuff, I've been really wrestling with where I stand on on that spectrum. I am um, very similar, probably, to Dan and Dustin. I am very solid on the conservative side when it comes to fiscal responsibility, um, agriculture issues, environmental issues. But some of the social issues, I've really been questioning um, where where the Republican Party stands, and questioning whether we can have a dialogue. And so, I'm I'm wrestling with a lot of things right now. Um, but in Idaho, um, when I move back, I will be I can confidently say I will be a registered Republican, so I can vote in the um, in the primaries because in the counties um, that we live in they are closed primaries. So I want to make sure to have my voice heard in that realm. But that's kind of where I, I stand on the spectrum of things. And I'm, I'm really interested in learning and developing where, where specific issues fall on this spectrum. And my biggest question that I've been wanting to unfold is why do they have to fall on a spectrum? And so that's why I think I'm super excited for some of this dialogue is what is to break down some of the stigma between between parties and between issues and just show we can have dialogue that's civil. It might get heated, it might get testy, but I'm excited to have this dialogue um, tonight. So, or it'll air in the morning, but we're recording tonight. So, um, so I think, how do you guys view where the current candidates and we can I say we throw if, if you know um, anything about Joe Jorgensen in there too um, but Joe uh, Tr Mr. Trump and Mr. Biden and see how do you think they're going to impact the big ag issues going forward and that's a lot to unpack um, but I think that's maybe where we can start and see where the conversation kind of kind of unfolds because there's there's a lot of things um, in agriculture that are writing we, we feel like that are writing on this election whether it's tariffs trade immigration um, waters of the U.S. that sort of thing so who wants to be brave and take the first stab at it um, and kind of start the ball rolling I can go all right. Um, <laughs> So I, uh, I'll just say right now, I'm, I am, I'm voting for Joe Biden. Um, and um, 
I I did not vote for Trump in 2016 either. And so I it was not really an option for me to vote for him this year. Um, and if we look at agriculture alone, I think there's a lot of evidence for that reasoning. Um, as Trump has been in office, I think that he has, um, that, that us folks in agriculture give him and his administration more credit than is actually due for the work that they've done. Um, there was a lot, take Waters of the U.S., for example, there was a lot of pushback about that um, when that proposed rule was put into place. And subsequently, a lot of misinformation that was, um, that was passed on by our president. Um, for example, he said that, uh, that that rule, it was a proposed rule, it was never enacted by Congress or, you know, it wasn't an executive order or anything by the Obama administration. Um, but he said that it had caused um, several thousand jobs to be um, to be lost from the rule. And just an example of one of the very small instances of misinformation that our president um, is um, pretty pretty common at doing. And um, I felt like there were and, and read WOTUS when it first came out that proposed rule, and there were a lot of exemptions or agriculture um, and misinformation about if there was a puddle on your farm and uh, or a small pond and a cow walks through it that um, it would be you know you'd, you'd be up for potential legal action and it just wasn't true there were already exemptions in the proposed rule and so um, that was disheartening for me to see that rule um, revoked and then um, I also believe that um, Biden has a pro-immigration agenda and Trump is vehemently against immigration. He's um, spread, he's very much a, a, a nationalistic, has a nationalistic view of the United States and trade and foreign policy in general. And um, I, as especially as somebody who grew up in California, I know how important it is to have our migrant farm workers and that system needs to be reformed um, and there uh, needs to be a discussion that uh, we'll, we have about it. And it's important to let people legally come across the border. Um, that's an important part of our American values and our system. And uh, I also uh, believe that Biden will have a, uh, will have better foreign relations, which will help us result in better trade policies. Um, whereas, um, again, Trump has, has uh, how to put this, has, um, has destroyed our, our standing on a global level that we've worked for years to, to get to the point that we're at. And um, there were multiple trade deals that he pulled out of and um, agreements that I think were important for the United States to stay in um, that I wish he wouldn't have done. And so those are just a few examples of some reasoning why, um, why I uh, think that uh, an Biden administration would be, would be better for agriculture, especially long-term. Wow. What does anyone else think? Words right there. <laughs> 
I love it. Uh, Dan or Dustin, do you guys have, um, what are your perspectives? Where, where are you sitting right now for this election? Either one of you. Uh, well, I, since Leah was, uh, was brave and, and uh, said outright, um, I, I think I would, or, or I, I will go ahead and I guess start with uh, where I stand when it, uh, you know, where the, the rubber meets the road and the actual vote. Um, I was one of, uh, it was, I, I remember paying attention, it was about 2,600 of us, so an incredibly tiny percentage um, in the state of Nevada in the 2016 election that exercised our fund, none of these candidates option. Um, there wasn't, wasn't many of us, but I, looking at the uh, available options, I didn't really like a lot of what I saw, and so I exercised that. Um, this year, uh, for a lot of reasons, I, I am, uh, I would describe myself as a uh, reluctant but strident uh, Joe Biden voter. So I'll be voting for, for Biden. Um, and I have reservations about that because of, of things that um, not actually necessarily related to, to Biden or himself, you know, himself, because he seems to me very much to be an old school politician where he's not necessarily um, really married to any uh, any particular ideas or policies super strongly. He's more of a uh, um, kind of work in back rooms and shake people's hands and and uh, get things done that way. Um, but directions that the Democratic Party is, is turning. Some things you've mentioned um, on your podcast such as uh, Cory Booker um, and uh, Elizabeth Warren introducing legislation that would limit farm size. That seems like a, a pretty absurd thing. And um, it certainly scares me that some opinions like that, that are, are, have a great likelihood to be de detrimental to agriculture industry will gain more prominence in that administration. But on the other hand, um, there are a lot of things that I object to. Um, and, you know, when it comes to agriculture, it's, it's a little bit interesting. I have mixed feelings on that front. A lot of my objections um, to voting for Trump are not on the bounds of, or are actually not agriculture related. Um, though I was doing some research for this and I was looking up and I liked a lot of what I saw on Biden's uh, plan for for rural America and agriculture specifically. And I could not actually find a Trump plan for, uh, um, for rural America or agriculture. And his, uh, all, the closest thing I could find was on his website. There's a uh, promises kept section that included land and agriculture. And it only had three bullet points, one of which was that he signed the farm bill. Um, so that's not exactly there's not exactly a whole lot going on there either um but we've seen a few things around here i i guess i'll add um you know where my mixed feelings come from or we've seen a few things around here where i live personally an enormous amount of nevada is public land um and the overwhelming majority of that is administered by the blm we have definitely seen improvements in in blm land management with things like um local land managers being empowered to, to make the cor correct decisions. 
um, about local land management issues. I was I was talking with Val before the uh, um, before we started recording, and mentioned that the fires around here have been uh, uh, the fire activity has been much lower than usual and much less than what a lot of the West is seeing, despite the fact that we're in severe drought. Um, and I think a lot of that has been due to the fact that they actually let cattle graze on the public land and reduce the fuel load, um, a lot of which was cheat grass and invasive species and things like that. And, and you know, both the land and those of us living around it have benefited from that. That seems like something that, um, you know, if, if policies shift back more similar to what they were like um, under the Obama administration, if Biden wins, that's something that could potentially change. So I have concerns. Um, but uh, my decision to vote for Joe Biden rather than kind of abstaining again, like I did last time, rests more in the fact that things are way crazy in the country right now. And it's really scary. Um, and whether or not you believe Trump is a cause of that, he has certainly leaned into that. Um, and so may, maybe you could see it as kind of a Hail Mary thing, but I certainly would like a chance to, to return back to normal um, as, as much as possible. So that was really long-winded, but <laughs> I'm really interested to hear what Dustin has to say uh, because a lot of the agriculture things, you know, that the federal government does would definitely affect you as a grain farmer a lot more than, than me as kind of a direct-to-consumer to vegetable farmer. Right, yeah. Um, so I guess uh, getting into where the, as you put it, the rubber meets the road. Um, you know, last election, I, I voted for Donald Trump. Um, I wasn't necessarily thrilled about it, but I, you know, I felt like a vote for any other candidate was a vote for Hillary Clinton. And that wasn't going to line up with anything that, that I thought um, I wanted from our country. Um, and knowing full well that I lived in a state that was going to be blue. Um, but that's the way that I felt there. This year, um, I would say I am most likely going to be voting for Donald Trump. Um, I can't say that I am completely decided, um, especially after watching the presidential debate the other night. Um, <laughs> but after the vice presidential debate last night, um, I'm very encouraged by at least our second in command. Um, and I thought that he did a great job. Um, as far as as far as the, the federal government and, and some of those programs, um, a lot of times in ag, we do end up getting more subsidies, if you will, from a democratic government, um, which, you know, for, for me as a farmer, that definitely bodes to my bottom line and makes me think that, you know, maybe that would be a, a good choice. But then I look at um, issues like waters of the U.S. and, um, you know, some of the environmental issues that, that Biden seems to, to support. Um, and not that there's not exemptions for ag and, and those things, but it's, it's been my experience and my family's experience that if you give the EPA an inch, they're going to take a mile. Um, 
So maybe that's a cynical way to look at things, but I very much am a believer in smaller government and less regulation. And I think that's kind of where my, um, my vote tends to lean towards. Um, you know, Donald Trump has, has done a lot of things uh, in ag that, you know, with his trade policies have definitely hurt, hurt some of our prices and some of our trade. Um, but we've also had some of the, the, the biggest payouts from the federal government through different programs um, in the last probably two or three years than we've had, um, you know, leading up to that previously. So, you know, it's, it's paperwork and you have to file and, and a lot of those things, but, um, you know, whether or not, you know, I'm not a necessarily a believer in subsidies, but if it's available and that's the game, then, you know, I'm going to play the game by the rules that are, that are laid out for me. So, um, I don't know if that answers your question or not, Dan, but that's, that's kind of where I'm leaning. Well, I think it's great because we have we have three people that fall in different categories, but I I'm so I'm just glad to have see that we can still look at each other across the screen and nobody's called each other a clown or jumped up <laughs> and started screaming or what have you. Um, but when you look at um, a specific policy or a specific candidate. Um, how do you choose your priorities um, for those? You know, is it is it business related? Is it social related? Is it one one topic related? Or do you try to look at the whole big picture and see how it's going to overall affect where we're going in the next four years? How about we start with Dustin this time? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we'll, we'll reverse um, the wheel. Yeah, that's probably fair, right? <laughs> Um, after getting to hear everybody else's response all the time, but, uh, you know, I, I, I think I kind of started down that road in, in the last time I spoke here, but, um, I think for me, lining out priorities when voting, um, I, especially in the, you know, the presidential election and, and even the federal, um, Senate and house elections, um, as a federal government, you know, I believe there's, there's certain roles that we have to do as a federal government, um, but in general, I am, like I said before, I'm a, a believer in smaller government, less regulation, um, more uh, kind of local control, I guess, if you will. Um, and so I think those are kind of the, the big things that I, that I look at. I, you know, I look at, you know, I want to pay as little tax as I can. Um, I'm okay with paying my share of tax. Um, but what I struggle is trusting that it's going to get put to you know, good use. Um, and I think the, the bigger the government is and the further up the chain into the federal government it is, um, it seems like there's more and more waste. And so that's frustrating to me. Um, that's also frustrating that, you know, that to have the government tell me where that money is going to go and how much is going to go there, as opposed to me as an individual deciding where I want to spend the, that philanthropy money and what causes to support right um so i'd say that's kind of where my where my vote kind of priorities come from um you know right or wrong i i don't know um but i'd say those are the bigger issues to me um as far as on a federal level that makes sense dan what's your kind of take when you when you head to the ballot box 
Well, one of the big things that I look at is actually not ag related. I don't know if that makes me a, a, a bad farmer, but I'm really a, a foreign policy focused. I think, you know, a lot due to my background in, in the army and things like that. Um, and, you know, one, one of the things that, that really frustrates me is that now we're on the, the third of, of three presidents that really have done a lot of damage uh, to our foreign policy and our standing in the world. Um, starting, you know, two presidents ago with, with, I mean, there's really not a solid argument where you could argue that getting into the Iraq and Afghan wars were good for us or good for world stability or, or any of that. It was, um, there were, there were mistakes made. Um, and then there was a lot of, of softness and, and uncertainty on the part of our foreign policy under Obama. And uh, it followed with the, the current president um, where chaos has kind of been the order of the day. Um, and that's something that concerns me a lot. And so I, I'm, I'm not convinced necessarily that the, the candidate that I've chosen to vote for would be, um, you know, a, an improvement over those last three in general. I mean, he came from one of the administrations that generally did a poor job with foreign policy. But uh, on the other hand, uh, I think in a lot of ways, there's, there's a lot of potential to reverse um, some of the, the new problems that we're seeing now. So that's one of the things I look at a lot. Um, I will say, Dustin voiced one of the things that, that I believe very strongly is that um, the federal government doesn't really do a very good job at administering things on a large scale. Um, and I think the USDA is actually a pretty good example that um, there are a lot of these big programs, but where they actually get administered and where the people deciding, you know, who the money goes to and how that, that's done at a local level and that's important. And I, I am a genuine believer that local governments are, are generally better at managing their own affairs than, um, than a federal government is at managing those same things for thousands of local communities. I think, well, and I think that something that I've learned over the last year or so too is how important local policy is and our local officials and how important it is to get invo involved on the local level because as, as millennials too, I think that's where we can have the biggest impact, whether it's at the ballot box or um, talking with our local representatives um, and, and working to make our communities better and voicing our opinions um, to, to our elected officials. So I appreciate you bringing up the local. I know we're focusing a lot on the presidential debate, but I think there's a lot of positivity um, that's going on on the local levels. And we can't forget about the importance of, of that too when we had to go vote is, is doing our research on the local levels because I think they can have just as great of an impact, if not greater um, than the presidential election. So thanks for bringing that that point up. Um, and then we'll let Leah talk about what her, her priorities are when she goes to vote. Yeah, it's interesting that both of you mentioned the dichotomy between small and big government. 
and how the parties approach both of those. I have always been a believer that um, on a local level that I think it makes a lot of sense for people to vote more uh, of, a, of the democratic or progressive ticket because um, all those taxes are just going straight back to your community. Um, and they tend to be um, more pro public education, et cetera. And so I, I do agree with you. I wish there was a, a way for, um, for Democrats to be, to have more of the smaller government approach on a national level, um, but still maintain the, 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 the control that they have at the local level. Um, so it's an interesting idea that you bring up, but my, my priorities tend to be um, not very singular. Um, so I, I think agriculture and rural communities are, are an important priority for me and um, they're one of them, but I'm also really passionate about public education and um, having a, a strong em environmental policy uh, stance as well. Um, I think that it's, really important for us on the environmental front to take climate change science seriously and for us to um, to think about the role that farmers and ranchers play in building our environmental resiliency. And um, that's part of the reason why I, um, I've found myself becoming more of a progressive over the years is, um, is that I is that it seems like there are more conversations being um, discussed about that. And then as far as education, um, I think it's one of the, the, the strong pillars of our country is our public education system and being able to offer an equal and fair education to everybody, no matter where they're from. And uh, so I think it's really important that we, um, we have somebody in office um, who supports um, a strong public education system. And then it, when it comes to rural communities, we all know on this call the, uh, the prominence of a lack of access to healthcare, um, to healthy food, and to, to strong rural broadband internet, and to an overall lack of wealth that can happen and, and occurs in rural communities. And so it's really important to me that we have a strong middle class and help alleviate people out of poverty like they are in, um, like are in the rural communities. And so I, um, that's partly why I, I uh, disagreed with Donald Trump's uh, tax plan because it gave um, a majority of the benefits to um, to big companies and, and to people that were in the you know, top 1% of, of wealth in this country. And I, I think it did a big disservice to the middle class of whom they said they were trying to support. So those are my, um, my three priorities tend to be education, uh, rural communities, and then um, having some type of reasonable environmental policy in place. Awesome. I think I, yeah, I'm just loving this. So I think to kind of just stir, stir it up just a little bit. Um, I, I want each of you to, 
to pick somebody you want to ask a question to. Don't attack them, but just ask a question that you want to dig a little deeper into some of their thought process or why, why they've kind of said something on their priorities or who they're voting for. And just try to ask a question and poke, poke a hole in their plan, but do it in a respectful way. We'll start with Dan since he's <laughs> <laughs> hasn't started. Uh, that's let's see. I'm I'm trying to think. I I'm not sure I can come up with a specific question um, right now because there's a lot of we're kind of very much in in mm -hmm. different places in terms of what specifically we're we're looking at. Um, so if if you don't mind. One thing I, I was just thinking about a lot um, as, as Leah was talking, she brought up um, one of the issues of, of climate change and, um, and that one is one that kind of stuns me because one of the things I think about a lot lately um, is the idea of, of carbon sequestration in soil and I've, I've tried deep diving into that um, and, and just looking at this idea that we can reduce, um, you know, the CO2 in the atmosphere by increasing our organic matter in the soil. And I'm a little bit surprised that that's not, um, that that hasn't been embraced more by, um, by the agricultural community specifically. I guess maybe there are reasons around that it hasn't for the uh, the Republican Party just around acknowledging climate change and as a whole and sometimes I, I guess that can be a political issue but um, I don't know I'm not doing a very good job of, of framing my thoughts here I was just thinking a lot about that um, and Leah I mentioned you but I was actually interested in in hearing uh, Dustin's thoughts you know again about um, whether or not that's something that that you have looked into or thought about and uh is is that a priority at all i don't know yeah so um yeah uh i guess we've we've looked at the carbon sequestration aspect i guess um and there's there's a few issues like that come along with that especially in our area um typically our soil organic matters in this in our non-irrigated farm ground here range from about, oh, say 0.7% to one and a half percent. An ideal, like wonderful soil, like I would imagine they might have in Illinois is around a 5% organic matter, right? right. Um, so, but in our area this year, this summer, I think we've had five or six inches of rainfall. So the question becomes how much plant biomass can you really get to grow on five or six inches of rainfall and then what percentage of that stays below the soil and you know we leave as much on top of the soil as we can all the time um yes because it's good for the environment but also it helps to shade the soil keep the soil cooler which keeps us more moisture in the soils um, there's a lot of benefits to being, to doing no-till, um, not just from a carbon sequestration standpoint, you know, and, and the more carbon that, and organic matter we can put in our soil, 
the more that we get free nitrogen and free fertilizer, right? Um, so I, I think a lot of progressive farmers are, are moving forward with the no-till thing for a lot of reasons other than just the fact that it's, it's good for the environment. Um, but it's not that simple, I guess, to, to build that carbon within the soil. And it's hard on a yeah. national and political level, but I, I'm going to, I've heard this term thrown out and we've brought in people to talk about this term, but Leah refers to herself when she votes as progressive. And Dustin, you just referred to these farming practices as progressive farmers. And so it, it just, this term has been driving me crazy lately because we it, it's different context because a lot of those progressive farmers are probably vote are probably Republican if I'm going to just generally stereotype but when we talk about national politics progressive tends to be blue and so I guess my question is why is that <laughs> yeah I'd love to I I'll just pipe in real quick I I think you know as we when people use the term progressive that it can mean you know it means progress right it means moving forward um and that is why i use the term to um, describe the type of vision that i hold for our country and for idaho and for our local community is that i want to live in a place and support candidates who are for something, are for more things than they are against, um, that they don't want to take us backwards, they want to propel us into a better and stronger future. And so that's why I use that term. And I think, um, you know, people use it in agriculture for, for similar, but, you know, different reasons in terms of they tend to be, you know, no-till is, is something that people used to do to no-till all the time, way back then. And then we invented tractors and then we start digging up the soil and so but it's it's becoming more of a progressive a um a trendier idea um that we're looking towards the future as a as an option for maintaining soil stability and soil health and so that's just a thought i have but i'd love to hear others opinions on that as well yeah you know i think that's a great definition of what progressive is 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 progress right and I think a lot of us look at progress in different ways. Um, progress to me probably looks different than progress to Leah or Dan or, or Catherine or Valene, right? Um, because we all probably have a different opinion of where we should be in the future and moving towards that opinion would be progress to me and maybe less progress to you know Dan or Leah. Um, you know, and you can say the same thing for farming. And I guess maybe I sh that's probably the wrong term that I used, right? But um, I would say, you know, uh, on the climate change um, thing, being progressive to me is, is yeah, nurturing our environment. And, um, you know, because I think we want, and you know, I, I would say farmers in general, there's always a few bad apples, right? But we want to leave the farm in a better place than it was when we found it. And that's how I try to make decisions, but also be profitable um, along the way. And, you know, so progress to me is moving towards having that better, 
that better soil that you know raising better crops and those sort of things to where progress towards someone else may be you know we should be plowing soils and growing crops in an organic um, system and which system is right i i don't know but i know what i the way that i try to address it i i'm loving this discussion too and i'm so glad that we were able to bring everybody on here i mean everybody's been super respectful and 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 letting you know the others speak and, and really lay out where they stand and i i think that this is definitely something that's lacking in our culture as a whole and um you know, Dustin, I don't think that you gave the wrong definition of progressive or, or calling yourself a progressive farmer. You know, if we can take some of the stigma off of off of those kinds of labels, I think <laughs> that what you're striving for is what, you know, most of our reasonable good apples in in our industry are striving for. And, you know, as always, we could go on for hours about this. And especially with you guys, I think, because everyone is here, um, you know, open to dialogue and to hearing different perspectives um but i think we'll we'll go around the table and ask everybody for their final thoughts and wrap up on um on the upcoming u.s election and we will tell our audience good night so um dan let's start with you one final time oh um the lots of ums to cut out here uh, <laughs> i guess uh, my final thoughts are mostly just uh I hope everyone can uh, just be kind to each other because that's, it seems like that's a really, you know, foofy, silly thing to say, but, but seriously, I, we live in a country where we have uh, basically in general, we've got the best quality of living and standard of living of anyone anywhere in the world at any time. And we, way too many of us seem ready to, um, to abandon that in pursuit of political views that we've managed to to do a pretty good job of being um, we're, we've always been a, a, a pretty antagonistic country politically you know there's a lot of back and forth but we've managed to uh, um, to get along without doing too much damage to each other and so hopefully we can just continue that because some things that are happening now scare me a bit and uh, so yeah, that's that's what I've got. Thank you, Dustin. Parting thoughts. Yeah, um, you know, I think the the biggest thought that I can have is to, you know, no matter listeners, whoever you support, go vote for that person, and vote with your conscience and for whatever reasons you have for voting for that person, um, those are your reasons and that's your vote and that's what you're entitled to um, as a U.S. citizen. Um, like Dan said, I think we, by and large, live in some of the best conditions there are in the world. And, uh, you know, I take that, you know, not every place you live, you get to vote. So this is, um, that's my biggest take. You know, one of the things I looked at um, and it's probably a topic for another another discussion um, because there are other candidates on the ballot um, and how we get to where there's more choices than two old men bickering on live TV um, is a, probably a topic for another, dis another debate. But um, yeah, go vote, vote your conscience and um, 
be proud that you have the chance to vote. Very well said. And Leah, we'll wrap up with you. Yes, wouldn't it be interesting if we didn't have a two-party system? That would be quite a shakeup for the United States. Um, but in addition to uh, those final thoughts, I, I would add, um, don't forget about that your elections are not just for the president, right? There's many local Absolutely. officials that you can vote for that arguably have a much greater impact on your day-to-day -day life. So uh, remember to vote not only for the president, but for all your local officials, and then that there's likely uh, referendums or um, other items on the ballot that are important for you to vote for. And then um, lastly, the, you know, what Brene Brown says of people are hard to hate close up. So move in, get curious. Um, it's really easy to just mad tweet about people or certain parties or policies without um, having a conversation with people. So I would encourage others to do, um, to do just that, to, to find people that are different than them and, and have asked them questions and, and come at it from a place of curiosity, because I think that that'll can do a lot of great good for our country. I don't think we could have wrapped up any better, Catherine. Um, just those great words of wisdom. And I love, I love bringing Brene Brown into it too, because she's one of my all time heroes. Um, we've been living on be awkward, be brave, be kind. So I think that summarizes all three of your guys's summaries and we can't thank you enough for joining us tonight and having those this dialogue and I think Leah said it great when she said curiosity ask those questions get to know your candidates get to know you know what's going on and ask ask those hard questions if something's not feeling right on on what whatever platform you're sitting on it's okay to question the norm and shake shake things up a little bit and just just get out of our comfort zone a little bit um but be respectful and be kind. So thank you listeners for tuning in to this week's episode of the Millennial Ag Podcast. You can email us at talktous at millennialag.com. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And until next week, we're Millennial Ag.